Good day. You're listening to Free City Radio. This is the 183rd edition of the program. I'm Stefan Christophe in Montreal, Giogiagi. Thank you for tuning in. On the episode this week, I'm going to be sharing a conversation I had with a um, journalist and writer who's based in Ramallah, Palestine. A writer and someone who I got to know in the context of social movements and protests in Canada named Jesse Rosenfeld. Jesse recently published an article about the situation in the occupied territories of Palestine and the recent protest movement in Israel against judicial reform. There's a really important point to this article that I think is important to listen to this week given the massive Israeli military attack on the besieged Palestinian territory of Gaza, which is to think about the ways that the protest movement in Israel against the Netanyahu government's push for judicial reform of the Supreme Court has really not touched on a fundamental point, which is the reality of the Israeli state's occupation of Palestine. I think this is really important to consider. A lot of major media reporting, international press reporting, um, have spoken about the protest movement in Israel as uh, a battle of a progressive street-based protest movement against a right-wing government. Although there is a small group of Israeli activists who are, you know, expressing very importantly solidarity with the Palestinian people, the vast majority of this protest movement has not addressed this issue. And I think it's important to sort of name that and to think about that right now and what it shows in terms of the massive gap of understanding within the, the press globally around what's happening today in Israel and in Palestine. The fact that the protest movement has largely been silent on the ongoing Israeli occupation is important to to name and to talk about. And I think also this interview is interesting in terms of trying to understand a bit more deeply some of the dynamics around this protest movement in Israel and as it relates to the sustained occupation of Palestine and the political layers to this situation. So thank you again to Jesse for joining us on the program this week from Ramallah. Jesse has for years uncovered and addressed the injustices and human rights abuses that are inherent to the Israeli occupation in Palestine and also has reported from Gaza on a number of occasions. So I'm happy to share this conversation with Jesse this week on Free City Radio. Here it is. These connections between different issues, uh, I mean, I know you from um, protests in the early 2000s in Montreal when you were studying there. And that's when we first met. So just as a disclosure of context, um, I remember you were particularly um, interested in uh, joining migrant justice protests after September 11th and also Palestine solidarity protests. So it's been a long time that we've known each other. Um, I read your recent article and I appreciated um, one of your recent pieces. This was one in Rolling Stone. And I appreciated how you built a connection or at least an opening to think about 
the ways that um, the protests um, f against the judicial reform, as it's called, um, inside of the Israeli political context can be thought of in some ways as linked to the broader reality of the Israeli occupation of Palestinian lands. And, and you interview people in the West Bank in that piece. And I, you also talk about Gaza, of course. Um, and you know, you mentioned all the context of the background of writing about different issues. And I found that in this piece, you, I, I think that that benefits the, the ideas that you share because you see these connection points. And often, uh, last point on this, when we see the reporting about the recent wave of protests in Israel, it's very disconnected uh, from the reality in Palestine. Your piece addressed that. Um, so, uh, yeah, if you could share a bit about what motivated you to write that piece and some of the main points that you try to bring up um, in terms of thinking about that connection between those two sort of political crisis points. Right. Well, I guess uh, the jumping off point for what I was writing about is the fact that, um, you know, these uh, the mass protests that have been happening in Israeli cities since January um, and, and the return of Netanyahu's new government, again, the most right wing in Israeli history, like every other one has been, yeah, everyone, every previous one has been, they just happen to outdo each other and how hard line they are. The idea was to, you know, and these protests themselves are, you know, the most consequential domestic political crisis that Israelis have faced. And what they're, and ostensibly what they've been placed over is the idea of reforming the uh, Israeli judiciary um, and the hampering of the Israeli courts uh, or subordinating of them to the, uh, to the elected branches of government and in a country without a constitution. Um, this has created a crisis. But mostly what this is, uh, what the protests are, is, um, or the issue of the uh, judicial reform is, is a symptom of a larger split that's been going on in Israeli society for quite some time. Um, as Israelis have become, uh, you know, have moved further to the right and become more religious and, uh, and more nationalist over the last 20 years, um, this kind of um, social split that's happened in the country has really uh, has really taken hold. Netanyahu is uh, the representative of that kind of political shift in the country and, and as he remade the country in his image. But at the same time, um, the protests are very much a reflection of the divisions in, in Israeli society that has gotten to a point of incredible security and uh, economic success. And what's happened is, is that um, the split is between its traditional establishment, its secular, uh, coastal, um, and generally the economic establishment that uh, have benefited incredibly from the tech boom in the country, that benefit incredibly from the arms industry. They come out of the best units of the military. Um, but at the same time, um, they live in a part of the country that is completely removed from Israel's occupation and its treatment of Palestinians. They are these bubbles. Um, that allow them to, 
yeah, that allow Israelis in them to not really deal with the greater reality of the country. And they're bristling against a government that is backed by hardline nationalist settlers that have been uh, riding roughshod in the West Bank and a... Uh, re- yeah, an incredibly violent campaign of uh, designed ad expansion and have increasingly you know, held the political power in the country um, over, the, over, the last, uh, over the last years. And, and the crisis that it's reached is that Netanyahu, who's the prime minister embattled in corruption, has really now fallen on the settler movement to prop up uh, his political coalition in the split that represents the, the rightward shift to the country, even if his judicial reforms have uh, have not been particularly popular. And what it means is, and, and what that represents is a, these, yeah, the sort of settler nationalist, um, they're not, yeah, the, the movement in the country is the most powerful political movement in Israel. Um, Effectively deciding that you know their rule in the West Bank and their uh, and and you know and the state support the unquestioned state support for their expansion is not really enough. They what they want to do is, or at least according to the protesters, they feel that these people now want to rule over Tel Aviv. They want to impose their religious nationalist values um, in the state. Um, and shape it in a way that uh, doesn't allow those sort of that sort of separation where they live in their world, connected you know between Jerusalem and the settlements, and the coast lives in its own world. Um, and so, for the first time, a political establishment that has lost political power over the last uh, well, really over the last fifteen, sixteen years. Um, is now feeling that they're going to lose the entire country. And it's led to this massive political paralysis uh, where um, the those that are at the center of the country's economy and its ruling class uh, question whether the country will be the kind of country that uh, creates the world that they want to live in. Um, all of this is absent from the Palestinians. <laughs> Okay, well, let's build on a few points. I wanted to underline one thing that you mentioned, just a factual point that is important. The fact that there is no constitution in the Israeli political context. Um, Just underlining that. But going towards the... um, There's historical reasons for that, and I encourage people to look that up. But going to some of the points that you mentioned, um, you know, I think about the horizon model of settler colonialism, right? And, you know, the U.S. context historically. And, you know, the power um, was, you know, for so long uh, at the beginning in these coastal cities in the east coast of the United States in the, in the, in the, in the launching of this uh, colonial expedition. And those cities benefited deeply from the fact that more and more territory was being, quote unquote, conquered by settlers who were expanding west uh, in terms of resources, in terms of land. Uh, but there were bubbles also in that context on the in the eastern seaboard, New York City, Boston, Philadelphia, etc. Uh, I think this is a, 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 a lot of the points that you raised, I think, are not coming through in a lot of the reporting, right? The ways that this is conveyed often is, okay, liberal, progressive, communities and networks of people in Tel Aviv 
are protesting this judicial reform against right-wing nationalists. And there's an assumption that this means people who are on the streets in Tel Aviv are you know, supportive of human rights that would extend to the Palestinians. This isn't necessarily the case. You talked about how people um, sort of didn't want their reality to be disrupted. Is there any sort of parallel in terms of thinking about the West Bank settlements as sort of a frontier that benefits these sort of metropole, uh, coastal elite bubbles, financial, political, infrastructure of power with you know the u.s historical situation and and just just for people to understand a bit more that dynamic because i don't think people are who are trying to follow these protests get it well i think that um i mean firstly the settlements are you know it's, it's not a fringe project of israeli nationalists it's, it's central to the state um you know uh th- i believe yeah you have almost three quarters of a million settlers uh, that are living across the Green Lines, around 750,000 if you're you know, from East Jerusalem and the West Bank. They have large towns like Ariel and Maliadamim that are, you know, that you know, have, for example, in Ariel have a certified university. Um, the government provides all kinds of incentives for people to live in the settlements. Um, everything from childcare to um, to uh, other kinds of uh, services, as you know, alongside uh, cheaper rent and uh, alongside, they'll also have uh, they'll, they'll have cheaper rent. They'll have. Um, Added uh, added social benefits to entice them to live in, uh, live in the West Bank, and these this has been a long-standing state project since '67. I mean, you know, I talked to Gonan Benitzak who, uh, in the piece, who's a um, he's known as uh, you know one of Israel's most successful handlers of uh, Palestinian collaborators. He handled the Green Prince, uh, who's. Uh, Major uh, son of a Hama- of a leader in Hamas uh, that Israel turned. He had been involved in the arrest of Marwan Barghouti, uh, the leader of uh, yeah the Fatah leader during the Second Intifada, um, and you know he talked about how like in uh, you know, even in the uh, after after sixty seven that. The old Ashkenazi liberal establishment loved the settlers. They were these great religious guys that would pray for them and kind of and, and follow through with the state project out in the occupied territories. And so there is a complete integration. And, and the thing that Netanyahu has been most successful at in his reign is that the transformation of a very segregated country designed to be segregated to shut Palestinians out, made into a permanent solution. And so it's not only the bubbles of Tel Aviv, but it's also the settlements that are linked together on segregated roads that connect to Israel's territory um, that created this entire society um, where... Jewish Israelis can live in their own world on both sides of the Green Line fully connected to each other that uh, have really sort of driven the current crisis. And the reason I wrote the story was because no one really looked at what that meant for Palestinians either. Um, people assume, as, as, as you point out, that it's a liberal protest and a defense of a Supreme Court that upholds rights. Well, the Supreme Court and Supreme Court justices told me this have been the 
a central institution in greenlighting Israel's government policy, whether it's home demolitions in the West Bank, settlement expansion. Um, and when it's exercised constraints, it's been constraints in line with, our, with what our government policy, when the government had a policy of not settling on private Palestinian land in the West Bank, but only state-controlled land, um, they would, uh, uh, they would greenlight evacuations. They greenlighted the evacuation of the Gaza settlement because that was the policy of the government of the day. And so you have a consensus on shutting out the Palestinians from the process um, and, and, and really from any control or influence in their own reality and determination of their own lives. Um, and there is effectively a consensus on that on both sides of the divide in Israeli society. The question is, is what, you know, for those Israelis protesting, it's about maintaining the status quo um, and maintaining that, uh, th- those sort of spheres of their own, uh, of their own rights. And for, uh, and for the government, it's, uh, it's, which again, seems to defy logic because they've, sp- you yeah, know, Netanyahu has spent so long building this up, but they're effectively knocking, you know, bursting these bubbles in a, you know, race to expand and further control their own. And that crisis um, will have profound impacts on Palestinians. But it's not like there's a side that's actually advocating for them. Thanks for sharing that, Jesse. Um, just maybe we could have a brief uh, point on this because I want to get into a few other things. Um, can you just briefly talk about why understanding that as something that is maybe a cultural divide but not an inherent policy divide in terms of like the settler colonial project you did talk about that but just maybe break that down in a more general specific way from your vantage point yeah the the settlers and the, and the religious right and the religious nationalist right in the country um they have fundamentally a different outlook on what israel should be as far as they're concerned um they are looking to build a religiously influenced um, ethno-nationalist state. And what, the, um, what those who are protesting are trying to preserve is this sort of contradictory balance between um, a Jewish national state and the democratic rights that, uh, that they currently have. And I don't mean to under, you know, underplay what the concerns are in the streets. What you have is a reality where um, Israelis are very concerned about losing certain fundamental rights being subject to religious nationalist values. Um, but they're doing it in a context where they're saying, hey, we're going to lose these rights. This is why we have to protect the court. And the court does protect Jewish-Israeli uh, you know, rights um, in ways that it doesn't for Palestinians, even Palestinian Israelis, as we saw with uh, the nation-state law several years before that the court uh, yeah, approved of. But these, are, th- these changes will also have, because of the nature of the politics, fundamental impacts on Palestinians. And what the Israelis are fundamentally not dealing with or not discussing is while they say we're worried about losing these rights and we're not going to be a democracy, they're not talking about the people who don't have any rights. You know, there's 5 million Palestinians that live under military rule and siege. 
Um, there are Palestinian Israelis that live as, as, as second-class citizens, none of which see anything of themselves in these protests. Palestinians in the West Bank have continued to run a rebellion um, and expand a rebellion out, out of complete frustration um, for, for the last year, basically saying... <laughs> It's about, yeah, we're another generation that have been uh, denied any any chance of a future or any rights. Yeah, so let's get into that uh, as the last point of discussion in this conversation, Jesse. But you mentioned the nation-state law briefly. People don't know what that is. Just please briefly explain that. The government passed what's called a basic law um, or... Uh, a law that, ha- that carries constitutional weight that defined Israel as solely uh, the nation state of the Jewish people and denied Palestinians uh, any national rights within the state. And it was seen as a codifying of um, the um, relegation of them to second class status and the denial of um, central rights that could provide. Um, equal status for them in the country. And Palestinian Israelis are citizens, um, and they have never had a full equal status within Israel. They've um, always faced all kinds of forms of systemic discrimination, underfunding. But what they've noticed under Netanyahu governments is a process of codifying the denial of their rights. And the nation-state law was seen as the central plank of that, and the Supreme Court approved it. And it's no surprise as a result that Palestinians uh, in Israel are not participating in these protests. They've said, you know, know, they'll often say, where were, you know, where was Israel when our rights were, you know, where were these Israelis when our rights were being taken away? But they will ultimately also say, when when these reforms go through, we're going to be the first target. They're going to come for our voting rights next. So on this point of how the government of Netanyahu affects Palestinians, both Palestinians who hold Israeli passports, citizenship, but also Palestinians living under occupation in the West Bank, Gaza. One thing that was striking was that the protests in Tel Aviv against judicial reform in the Israeli context, when the invasion of Janine happened recently, this summer, there was no connection made. There was no, there was no um, protesting for the rights of Palestinians. Um, so talk about that and also talk about um, uh, the importance of keeping focus of the, the brutality of the occupation in the West Bank. It's important to point out there is an anti-occupation block in the protests. There is a small Israeli left that is trying to actually make um, the connection between uh, Israelis fearing losing their rights and the Palestinians that don't have them. Um, and so, you, yeah, and, and their argument is you can't actually have a real democracy without equal rights for all. Um, and, and that starts with ending military rule over Palestinians in the occupied territories. Um, and they're very clear on that, but they're a very small minority. We're talking hundreds in a sea of tens of thousands. Um, now, for the daily reality of Palestinians is that um, and this is the other fear with the nation state, or with not the nation state law, excuse me, with the judicial reform is that um, the government is not only paving the way for um, further control over Jewish Israelis and, and denying the rights of, Pal- further denying the rights of Palestinian Israelis, but a 
full-throttled expansion across the West Bank that would involve annexations, um, dispossession of Palestinians in, you know, in, in larger numbers, and a solidification of Israeli or a declaration of Israeli sovereign control over the West Bank while the siege of Gaza continues to uh, continues to hold. And what they've said clearly, you know, when I spoke with Rothman, um, Simcha Rothman, the architect of the judicial reform, he was very clear in, not try, in trying to not discuss the kinds of rights that, Palestinian is, uh, that Palestinians would, uh, in the West Bank would have under Israeli sovereignty. Um, he was... Um, very clear. He was very clear in also trying to argue that the Supreme Court changes weren't necessary to expand uh, Israeli annexation. But he really didn't want to talk about the kind of situation that Palestinians would live under when that happens. And that's... Um, and that is the other side of what is going on in the shift in Israel. Um, that there... You have a government in power and a coalition that is so hardline that they want to remove any kind of procedural checks um, that they could uh, th that could happen because they understand that uh, they have to maximize the time that they have, and so um, they're create they're trying to create a situation where uh, legally they can run as roughshod as the settlers that expand a settlement, you know, that, that create a hilltop uh, uh, outpost uh, overnight. Um, and, and they're basically trying to create that, turn that into a legal reality and a, and a reality of functioning for the state. And, and that impact on Palestinians is the a situation where they're basically looking at anywhere between expulsion and uh, further dispossession and re-ghettoization, um, being locked into these small little enclaves around the West Bank, um, something Amira Haas, the Israeli journalist, loves to call, you know, regularly calls Bantu stands in, in, in reference to the South African system. Um, and this is the Israeli solution. And so they've been fighting this. And they, you know, it was a rebellion that started under not a Netanyahu government, one of the few, you know, it was under, under Bennett previously, but because the conditions of occupation and the, the system and, and, and process of the segregated solution that Netanyahu really solidified since he started to solidify since he, became to power, since he came to power has become the Israeli political consensus. Um, and so it started under him, and then what happened was uh, his government came to power, uh, came back to power, or he came back to power with a new hardline coalition, and they've accelerated the kind of crackdown that has been experienced across the West Bank, as we saw in Janine. That was a conversation with Jesse Rosenfeld, who is a journalist based in Ramallah, Palestine. And as you heard, we discussed the protest movement in, in Israel against judicial reform and you know a key point which is that the issue of the Israeli government's occupation of Palestine including the West Bank and the continued besiegement of the Gaza Strip which right now is in the international spotlight given the massive Israeli military assault on this besieged enclave of Palestinian people 
the fact that this aspect is not a focus of the Israeli protest movement against the government of Benjamin Netanyahu. I think it's important to, to think about and consider these political layers today at this critical moment. So thank you to Jesse for being on the program. Free City Radio is hosted and produced by me, Stefan Christoph, and we air weekly on CKUT. 90.3 FM at 11 AM on Wednesdays on CJLO 1690 AM also in Geojage Montreal on Tuesdays at 1 PM on CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg at 10:30 PM on Tuesdays on CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario at 11:30 AM on Wednesdays on CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria, British Columbia on Wednesdays at 9 a.m. and Saturdays at 7 a.m. On Met Radio, 12.80 a.m. in Toronto at 5.30 a.m. on Fridays. And on CKCU, 93.1 FM in Ottawa on Tuesdays at 2 p.m. You can find our archives at soundcloud.com slash freecityradio. We are also a podcast which you can look up and find on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Just search Free City Radio. Please tell a friend about the program, and I'll speak to you next week.